Hello and welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik. This episode is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. Testimonial Hero enables you to close more deals faster with strategic video testimonials. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ryan Staley, who is the founder and CEO at Whale Boss. We deep dive all about AI and how it's impacting marketing and sales. Talk a bit about what he sees coming up next in that space. And then we finish off with focusing on referrals and how in the current environment, they're such a strong channel. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. What's up? How's it going, Dustin? It's going well. So we're going to, you know, we're going to be talking about a topic that everyone's talking about right now, but I think you have some unique insights on, which is AI, how it's changing things. Uh, it's moving fast. So I'm sure when we release this in three weeks, there'll be a bunch of new stuff at that point anyways. Um, but let's start with a big question. Like, I'd love to start with how has things changed for you in the past month, month and a half with chat GPT coming out AI? Like, how are you implementing that in your go-to-market strategies? Yeah, so I would say it's a lot longer than that in terms of the, the AI, AI path. Like, I got switched on from a, a founder I was talking to in November about Dolly, which is the text-to-image. And so that's how I got exposure to basically open AI. And then from there, I started working with ChatGPT. So I guess it's kind of like makes me a dinosaur if I've been working with it for whatever, seven months now or six months, seven months by the time they uh, this gets released. And so... Um, the really unique thing about it is like that gave me a lot of access and exposure to it. And so I'm one of those people that like, I hate wasting time, right? Like I, I absolutely hate wasting time. I like, I'm very results driven. And so it was a natural flow with me to basically just dictate the outcome and result that I want. And then have someone execute it for me and then just give it tactical instructions. And so, uh, what I decided to do, uh, after starting to use it and then, I started to, to learn a lot about different people and industry leaders. And so one of the things I started to do is just, just sit, soak up as much talks and in, in things like that and content on it. And what I realized is like the reoccurring theme that I kept hearing is like, literally, this is going to be the single biggest change in mankind history because of how fast it's going to happen and the result that it's going to create. And so I'm like, all right, I got I, I have to make a dedicated effort to this. And so um, basically I took like a 30 day challenge with myself where I'm going to like spend a hundred hour and a half each day just on it and learning it outside of what I was using before. And then what happened is that started to unlock different use cases for me, for my clients, for the business space that I started to get really excited about. And then I started sharing on it on LinkedIn. And then that's when stuff started really, really taking off. Nice. And I imagine, you know, it probably started a bit more rudimentary because you're new to it. You know, you're testing out summarize this, craft me an email. And I'm sure now it's a lot more advanced, both from your own understanding and just the tech is moving incredibly fast. So how has that evolved for you? Like what were some of those early use cases that really kicked it off? Well, I, I think like for anybody listening to this, like anybody on the revenue side, whether you're in marketing or you're in sales, uh, or even if you're, you're like a CEO or founder, just start using it, right? That's like step one. And like, I guess like real, real simple use cases is like, I would kind of give a garbage in, garbage out. I'm like, okay, give me this, right? And I'm like, oh, well, the response kind of sucks. And then I look and I'm like, well, my question kind of sucked, right? Yeah. So so then I like kept refining it and I started to define and orchestrate what I call a, uh, like a master prompt method. And so there's really, I mean, there's a more, I should say advanced version of what I'm telling you, but there's really three core components to it, right? And the first one is, like act in the voice of, or I want you to take this frame of, of, of experience. And so that could be with like someone with 30 years experience 
creating unicorns, uh, if you're looking at like SaaS advice, or it could be someone who is known as an expert that you well respect. So that's like step one. Step two is a framework that you wanted to utilize specifically. And that framework could be like, for example, copywriting. It could be IDA, like um, that copywriting format. It could be a sales methodology like Medic. Uh, whatever you're, you have is a frame of reference of a framework. So you have the person or the experience, then the framework. And then the third part of it is the structure, right? Of like how you want that orchestrated and structured. And so that could be in bullet points. That could be in less than 200 words. That could be in an email sequence. And so just by utilizing those three kind of components, you could easily start to really put together like killer prompts and things that would take, used to take maybe eight hours that you can get done in 20 or 30 minutes if you just keep working with it. Yeah, 100%. We've been doing a similar thing, actually. Uh, this is more of a marketing use case I'll mention, but you know, we're a video company. We record video testimonials. We get this 45-minute transcript with a ton of content, and our customers often write a case study, and it's time-consuming. they got to go through and figure out the notes, et cetera. So we have prompts that will just spit out a case study that's 80% of the way there, save them hours of work. So it's kind of a similar thing on the sales side, right? Where maybe you have you probably have a human intervention at the end to polish it up, you know, make it a bit more natural. But like you said, saving those hours and hours of prep research, like repetitive tasks. Yeah, exactly. Like you nailed it. Uh, it's one of those situations where like that's a, a perfect example of it. You find it and work it. So um, it'll get you there. Yeah, definitely. And then you know, those, that's, I think, a great framework. And then I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff you're looking forward to coming out. So there's people talking about, you know, auto GPT, all the integrations to it. Copy AI is doing a bunch of stuff. I'm curious where you see that next, you know, next spark going and what you see coming down the pipeline here. Well, as of today, plugins are not released yet. So plugins are, I think plugins are alpha or beta right now. And so what that's going to do is unlock a lot of new use cases because it's going to be interconnected with web and services. And so that's going to open up a lot of opportunities. I think that's like the biggest step. Um, there's been auto GPT, which is basically like chat GPT plus a lot of different agents on top of it that runs tasks um, automatically for you. And so that's really interesting. And what I've heard is the use cases that are identified as really good are, are pretty cherry picked right now uh, in terms of like, you know, things that have worked out unbelievable. It's really raw and a lot of challenges with it. However, I heard that it's in about three to four months from now, maybe even two to three months from now, that's going to get cleaned up. So that's going to unlock a whole different world of opportunities. And then, you know, like plugins as well, like Zapier is one of the initial plugins. And so that's going to create a lot of opportunities to integrate into it. So that's more like the tactical aspect of it. In terms of what we're looking at more from like an outcome and, and usage perspective, I think it's going to create a world of opportunity of just a lot of more um, like realistically like Jarvis where we're from Ironman, where you dictate what you want and then all the tasks are done for you uh, to create that output. So um, that's kind of where I see the, the big opportunity. Yeah. So I guess... I agree with that, by the way. But follow up to that is a lot of people are probably freaking out like, oh, there goes my job. You know what I mean? Like, I think people were freaking out with this years ago, but with uh, autonomous driving, for example, and that never really came to fruition yet, maybe down the road. This seems to be moving quicker. So I think, you know, copywriters are worried. Uh, assistants, like executive assistant 
types are worried as well. So for people who are maybe a little weary of it, and rightfully so, um, how do you see that human interaction going? Like what skill set should people focus on so that they can use this as an opportunity rather than having it you know, be a detriment? Well, and here's the thing. It's really interesting. It's a good question because like I, I heard a, I'm not going to say who it was, but a founder kind of like working with people on how to create AI products. And he's like, specifically don't say it's going to take people's jobs, right? Like don't play into that. And like, it kind of pissed me off because like, that's bullshit. Like it will take people's jobs, right? You don't want to be the fear monger, like saying like, you know, the whole world's going to die <laughs> um, like that. But at the same time, let's look at it like from a realistic perspective. And yeah, there is an opportunity for that to happen. However, at the same time, um, whenever there's a new problem or cutting edge technology, there's a new opportunity, right? And so if you look at like the most critical events that have happened in, in regards to tech over the last 20 to 30 years, it was, it was basically like the internet, right? And that, yeah. that started really taking off in what, like the late 90s, early 2000s. And then from there, it shifted to like mobile and social media and like around 2009, 2010. Uh, when the iPhone took mainstream, right? And now we're in the next iteration of this. Um, I know blockchain and Web3 really didn't take off as expected, but a lot happened in there. And so now we're in 2023. And that's one of the situations where like, this is the next iteration of that. And I guess like if you ask Bill Gates, he would say one other area is that the personal computer and the you know end user computing, which is true. That's probably another like massive, massive uh I guess, change in the world because it brought and it, and it democratized technology and computers so that everybody could use it. And basically that's what AI is doing. It's, it's broken down so that everybody can leverage it now in, in terms of that. So long story short, like I would run towards it instead of run away from it and get comfortable and, and identify your own use cases for what you could do. Just start small, you know, just like try it out. And there's tons of different use cases. If you're in graphics, try mid journey or, you know, stable diffusion or Dolly, right? Um, language models, there's, there's BARD, there's OpenAI, there's a lot of different ones. And try it just for things that you have problems with and, and try and figure that out. And then what will happen is it'll start to unlock new points of creativity for you in terms of how you can either, you know, increase the speed of what you're doing, increase the quality or uh, increase your productivity. And so that's kind of the way I look at it and my recommendation. Yeah, I think the speed and quality are two key points because the way like with most of this stuff it's kind of cyclical right the early adopters come out reap giant rewards then eventually it gets flooded with a bunch of people kind of doing garbage that makes it saturated and annoying and then out of that come the ones who innovate again from that um, so i do think we're in you know probably the early part of that still i am a little worried that people won't use it for good and my inbox will get exploded more with all of these personalized emails that are just ai and i'm going to get hundreds of them um so what do you think is going to happen there, like on the saturation front, which when this is like really taking off and kind of more mainstream? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I have clients in cybersecurity and I have friends in cybersecurity, which is I know isn't exactly what you said. But yeah. I look at it as just like there's going to be AI use cases for um, I don't want to say spammability, if you will, like what you mentioned. Totally there's also going to be use cases for protecting against spam, you know, and so. Like one of the guests that I had on my show, the Scale Up show, um, I had a, the founder of Personal AI on, and basically what his his solution does, and he just released it not too long ago. But 
enables to train on how you respond to emails and inbox inquiries, right? And then provide automated responses that you could turn on based on how you respond to different requests in areas. And so I see, you know, if people are leveraging the hell out of AI to spam or use that. I think people go in the other direction and leverage the same thing on the protection side to shield themselves from that instead of just having a person do that. So that's one of the examples that I think um, is interesting with that. I think in terms of content, like, uh, you know, and I've tested this out, I've tested out content that I've created. I've tested out content that's AI created and there's still a difference right now. Uh, it's getting better, but I think like authentic content and that can come down to like live interviews that can come down to like what you're doing here. Right. Um, is really going to resonate with people versus all text. Because unless you have really unique threads of your personality or brand voice integrated in there, it's going to be uh, kind of, I guess, buried in the noise with with a lot of other things that are out there. For sure. Yeah, that's, you know, we're, we're a ways away from this being a deep fake. And actually, we're not that far away potentially, but we're just not big enough for that to ever happen. But I, I do agree, like having an actual voice personality, those live conversations is key there. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned automated replies, for example, for sales emails. I'm curious how this affects the world of SDRs, because like with the economy being choppy at best, there were already cuts and like a focus on efficiency on that side. So I think that's just going to be magnified here where I don't know what that role becomes. I'm hoping it becomes way more personalized, you know, someone taking the time to chase those larger accounts, build those relationships. Um, but, you know, you've lived in this world for years. So how do you see those two interacting, like specifically outbound sales and, you know, the wave of AI? Yeah, I, I mean, outbound sales is like, it's a critical motion, right? I think yeah. like the SDR motion is kind of broken now anyways, in my opinion. If, if you look at, at the stats and these is from 2022, I think 76% of SDRs failed and didn't even make 100% of their quota, which I know you want 80% of people to make their quota, but when almost 80% of people don't make their quota, um, that's a problem, right? And and so like what was recommended in, what is it, when predictable revenue came out in, in the early 2000s, that, that was a really, really solid approach. And there's there's still benefits to it. I think we're kind of at a unique inflection point though, because a lot of the younger generation that is starting to get into SDR work now, which is like that entry level position, mm -hmm. basically they don't want to make, from what I've seen, right? This is just limited experience. And this is what my clients have told me. They don't want to make calls, right? They just want to do everything via email or um, text-based and like it's, it's kind of getting cyclical where it's going back to, it's like, you have to try and make calls and it's going to be more based on creativity than like a killer email sequence, I think. Uh, and so creativity could be like how you connect with them. It could be how you get their attention. And I know that mimics kind of what's happening today, but I think with spam blockers, you know, on the phone and then on the email, it's going to be harder and harder for that model to work. So you definitely need to leverage a, a change in that. And one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about that I think cuts through that noise is referral-led growth. So really, truly leveraging the power of your current customers to create pipeline that closes in half the time with 150% of the close rates because of the fact that 9 out of 10 buying decisions are made with referrals anyways. So why not leverage human behavior versus trying to cram 
an entry level person in and make a ton of cold calls. It's just, I mean, that's kind of how I view it. I don't know if you agree, disagree, but that's where I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of opportunity. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of, we're doing it organically. Admittedly, we need to do a better job on the referral front, but just, you know, there's a lot of movement in the tech community. We sell to B2B SaaS companies, not really referral, but you know, former customer at company X is that new company they're coming in. And I know user gems and different tools are, are tackling mm-hmm. that. And that's one side, but the pure referral is an interesting one as well. And I've struggled at times to get like a traditional referral model off the ground because I think they get overcomplicated and they get kind of messy. So let's switch gears and dive into that. Like what are your recommendations for actually getting referrals off the ground? Yeah. So I think the, there's a, the, there's kind of like a, a few key points that I look at because I, I help companies set this up and implement it uh, off the basis of like when I was a VP of sales and I was a partner for an enterprise sales group, we got referred in to Whole Foods, which actually led to a $20 million deal, right? So uh, I'm like, okay, we, and it was from a company that we didn't even win as a, as a customer. And it wasn't like a direct referral, but it, it led to a meetup with them, which led to the deal, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, if you're looking at, there's like a few core components that I would, I would look at. One are, what are the emotional peaks that your buyers have as they're working with you just to the natural buy-in cycle. And, and these will typically exist, like if companies have a POC or if there's a demo, uh, it'll happen sometimes at an implementation meeting and then at different review cycles. So there's natural points where customers are really happy. That's like the timing component. So you want to line up your ask with the right at the right time, right? Just like you would with your husband, wife, or partner of, of asking them for something that, you know, um, takes a little bit on their end. You don't want to ask them, you don't want to ask your wife to like, you know, you just got back from Vegas for a guy's weekend. And then you asked to go and do the same thing the following weekend, the Monday you get back after she's been taking care of two little kids all weekend. Right. So that's the timing example. Um, the other part is like your process, like line up your process with that timing. Uh, the incentives is the third part. Like, and most people assume it's money. Usually that's the biggest mistake. It's more, uh, something that typically resonates with them at a personal level that is going to get you the result. And then the uh, last but not least is just ask consistently, right? Most companies will do it sporadically and most reps will do it sporadically. And the reason being is they're not confident. So a real simple confidence trigger to help you identify whether a customer is referable or not is a, if you take NPS scores and they provide those scores back to you, uh, the nines and tens are very simple people to ask as a follow-up, right? And two, when you're at a review, if you're doing a customer review, you just simply ask them, how would you rate us on a scale of one to five? Five being the best, one being the worst. If they give you a four or five, then they're, they're referenceable. So that's a perfect time to ask them. And when, when they give you your grade, they'll also tell you why they think that, right? So then you prepackage that up, put that, you know, uh, what they said into an email, copy them on it, and then boom, like you'll start to get pipeline from it. So that's a real simple way that to, to kind of walk through it and handle it. Nice. And so you mentioned, you know, copying them on the email, include the quote. I'm curious then, so are you asking for the intro and saying, hey, I'm going to reach out to so-and-so? Or is it more, this person gave us social proof, you know, I'm doing the reach out? Yeah, you you want to ask them then, like, okay, they give you a four or five. Then you ask them, like, hey, would you be comfortable? Uh, I noticed that you're connected to these five people. Which ones of these people are, you know, that you, you truly know, right? And so when you do that, uh, it whittles it down. It 
eliminates any friction for them to do the ask. And then uh, it makes it super easy because they don't really have to do anything, you know? So then you're leveraging their political capital while making it frictionless for them after they just told you that they're really happy with you. So that's kind of the way I would approach it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, being specific there with these four people or this person is important because I've been asked before, it could be a company I love. And they're like, do you have anyone to refer? And my mind just goes blank. And I say, yep. <laughs> if they say, like, refer John all the time. Like, yeah, 100%. But if they ask for like a direct intro, that's key. Um, You've given me a few ideas here for our go to market because like we we are a testimonial company, right? And of course, our customers give us testimonials. And that's a big part of our marketing. But we do it at scale, you know, LinkedIn ads, outreach, etc. But we totally should be asking after those interviews, you know, they just talked, raved about us for 30 minutes, say, hey, can we use this to reach out to these five people at these accounts? Exactly. Yeah. It's a total missed opportunity. So the light bulb went off for me there that, you know, we need to be doing a better job with that. Yeah, it's a great opportunity, man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, you know, we aim for 20 minutes. We are on the dot here. That was a lot of info crammed into that. Um, <laughs> I know you have a lot going on in the AI front from you know, posting about it and some other things you're working on. So let's share with our audience a bit uh, where they can reach out to you, where they can learn more. Yeah. So I, I've been publishing because I've been finding that there's a lot of opportunities for use cases that take 20 minutes of time that would be like eight hours of work. So I did one on that, uh, the 80 or the 20 minute sales org. I did that 20 minute startup. And uh, I also am doing one that's released uh, tomorrow from the time it's recorded on the 20 minute marketing org. So nice. if you want to capture those, go to LinkedIn. That's where I'm publishing them. There's a link in my profile where you can get a cheat sheet on how to execute on, on this. And then you'll get put in my newsletter where I share these every week, just like different use cases. And there's going to be a waiting list for something exciting I got coming out, which will probably be out by the time this is uh, launched. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. And so go there, check it out, uh, engage with me, say hi that you heard me here. Um, and if you have any questions, just let me know. We'd love to answer them too. Awesome. Cool. So we'll include those links. I think all of that is really relevant right now because a lot of us, our teams got cut. We have less budget. We need to use less hours to do things, right? So perfect timing for that. Um, and Ryan, thanks for having a fun conversation and you know, selfishly give me a great idea for a go-to-market strategy. Appreciate no it. No problem. All right. Happy Dustin. We'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Thanks for joining me for this episode. My key takeaway is what Ryan called his master prompt method. So the three components here, just to recap, are let the AI know what frame of reference you want it to take. For example, say, pretend you're a Series C B2B marketer. Number two, use a framework. So it could be Ida, Medic. Uh, Those are just copywriting examples, but could really be any type of framework. And then finally, set the structure. So say what you want it to do. Do you want 200 words, bullet points, an email, summary of a podcast, for example? If you fit those three, it really spits out you know, a high quality piece of AI that then can be edited by a human to you know, get a really quality piece of product. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click subscribe or shoot us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, I'll be back every Tuesday.